And here comes another Books of the Year podcast. This is part two of our Malcolm Gladwell conversation. Uh, if you've just joined us for this one, the discussion about talking to strangers uh, is elsewhere. You can go back to where you got this podcast and it should be there. I'm assuming you've probably heard it already. Uh, anyway, Malcolm now has the, uh, the Q&A in front of him. Who knows what he's made of it? Um, Malcolm Gladwell, the last book you really, really enjoyed. And as I usually say, the second really is actually the most important word in that sentence because I don't want something that you've just enjoyed. You have to really, really enjoy it. Really, really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. There's many candidates. I tend to really, really enjoy most books I read. This summer I read, as part of my obsession with spies, I read this lovely book on Klaus Fuchs, um, who was the British, well, uh, first German, then English, physicist who gave all the atomic secrets to the Soviets. Um, There's a new biography of him that came out called Trinity. Um, It's really... I knew a little bit about Klaus Fuchs, said not a lot. And um, you would think it's pretty heavy going because we're talking about a nuclear physicist. But it, it's just a marvelous, it's an incredible story. I mean, this, it, I hadn't realized that Klaus Fuchs, we always talk about all these other physicists as being crucial in the birth of the atomic bomb. This Basically, one person is at the heart of... So three countries get the bomb in short order after its invention, the United States, England and the Soviet Union. One man is at the center of all three countries' nuclear efforts. Fuchs is that person. He directly works on the first two countries' bombs and indirectly gives away all the secrets for the Soviet Union's bomb. This idea that one guy should be at the heart of arguably the 20th century's most um, devastating invention is extraordinary. And even, this is so much fabulous stuff in this book, there's this one moment where they figure out he did give all the secrets to the Soviets, but he's running the British kind of atomic energy program. And they say, well, we have to put him in prison or send him in exile or do something to get rid of him. And then they think, well, wait a minute, but if we lose him, we won't have an atomic program anymore. (laughs) And there's this genuine moment where they're like, I know he's a Soviet spy, but He's really, really good at what he does. And, 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 I just love stuff. And it's not a kind of lame thing. It's genuine. And you realize that making a bomb, and I think this is still true today, is as much an art as a science. It's not a series of calculations in a textbook. It's inside his head. And so this guy, if he, go, if he goes on in exile to Berlin whatever, East Berlin, they, you just lose it. You have to, you're, 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 you're set back 15 years until somebody else can kind of figure out the ins and outs of it. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of it. There, he was a, he's, a, he's a nuclear craftsman mm. if, as much as anything. So it's called Trinity? Trinity. It's and a it's, lovely book. Uh, who yeah. wrote it? No. Look it up. Okay, okay. it's, it's Trinity, called Trinity. It yeah, and it's about I should have. I should have. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. and my apologies to the guy who wrote it. Okay, so do you have a favorite writer? I have many. I, well, I'm, I'm going to give you two, uh-huh. fiction and nonfiction. My favorite fiction writer, and I'm going to apologize to Lee Child. There's someone I love more than him. I love Ian Pierce. He was a, I want him to write more books. I think Stone's Fall and Instance of the Finger Post are two of the most marvelous books of of fun fiction. I mean, these are they're literary thrillers, but they're you know they're they're I suppose they're sort of genre. Um, but although Stone's Fall, I just think he's fantastic. I just find those books. I have given Stone's Fall as a gift to so many people. In fact, my sister-in-law, I gave her it for 
to to her for Christmas, and she said, "This is the third time you've given me this." <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, yeah, I, that's, <laughs> that's how bad it is. That's how bad it okay. is. He's fantastic. And then um, uh, Janet Malcolm on the nonfiction side. I think I have read absolutely everything she's ever written, down to her every bit of journalism. I mean, I am a Janet Malcolm obsessive. Um, if I had to recommend one to start, maybe The Journalist and the Murderer is a good, or uh, In the Freud Archives, or she's just a, she's a journalist, but she's she approaches her subjects with the rigor of a psychoanalyst. And um, the books are so, and they take so many unexpected twists and turns. She did a book about um, about uh, Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes, principally about Ted Hughes, which is so devastating. And then another book about um, uh, about uh, oh dear, I've forgotten her name. Anyway, um, she's anything, virtually anything she has written is worth reading. Is there a book? that you would like to step inside of. I think this is about world building, really, yeah. where you're so intrigued, fascinated. Yes. there. I read another great book I read this summer uh, was uh, Bud Schilberg, who was the screenwriter who wrote, among other things, On the Waterfront. Um, and and the best, the greatest book ever about Hollywood, which is What Makes Sammy Run, um, what, wrote a memoir of his childhood. It ends when he goes to college. And he was the son of one of the most powerful movie bosses, studio bosses in Hollywood in the 30s. And it's really a book about Hollywood in the 30s through the eyes of an adolescent. And his father is this kind of, he's the kind of intellectual of Hollywood, but at the same time he's having affairs with everyone under the sun. And they, you know, these incredible parties. I mean, it's just this wild time in Hollywood. And they're making... To be a studio executive in Hollywood in those years, you make, you know, that person today would make two pictures a year. Back then, they're making 30 a year. You know, it's just an incredible moment in Hollywood. And the the amount of money they're making, this guy's father, Bud Schobuck's father, he talks about his father's income. It's staggering. I mean, it's like no Hollywood person gets paid like that today. And, but at the same time, their lives are, they're embedded in normal life in a way that no rich person would be today. It's just a kind of really extraordinary picture of of uh, what American life was like in, in L.A. So that. hundred years ago. Yeah, I would love to be in that world. Uh, we've talked about your book about whether you can spot whether someone's being honest. Our next question is the question that's there to see how honest you are being. And that is, how long do you give a book or do you always finish it? I don't always finish. Good for you. I give up. Um, I give up if uh, fiction, if it gets too depressing. Um, I can't deal with things that are too um, uh, overwhelming. And then nonfiction. I would like the author to make an honest effort to entertain me. And if they're indifferent to that, then I have no time for them. Like, you know... Throw me a bone here. I bought, I bought your book. <laughs> Give me a laugh. Help me out. Yeah. Uh, describe your book collection. Um, well, it's about to consume my apartment. It's now I have now stacks of books on the floor. I have a library, but it's full. Um, this is exactly how I would have imagined. Yes. I buy books. 
Now that I've discovered that you can go on Amazon and buy basically any book and you want for three dollars, um, I've. I mean, the books are effectively free, right? If a book is, your expectation is the book will be thirty dollars. It's three. So in that case, you can buy all the ones you want. So I buy all the ones I want. Is part of you a little bit annoyed about that, given the amount of work that goes into, for example, yeah. talking yeah, to strangers? It is a little. You bought it for three dollars, and then sometimes it, it, over here, ninety nine pence. Really? Mm. Yeah, no. For a whole novel, for a whole book, that's yeah. outrageous. It is. Uh, but I love what I love now is, um, but I, I, when I'm on planes, I'm on planes a lot. Um, in the last hour of the flight, when I'm thoroughly bored, I open my computer and I just start buying books. <laughs> so it's become a compulsion. Okay. Um, anyone who's listened to the previous podcast may well know the answer to this already. Which books stand out for you from your childhood? Is it your father being in tears reading Dickens? It is. He also read all the Narnia books to us, of course. He's an Englishman. Because uh, <laughs> that's what we Lord, all do. <laughs> yeah. Lord of the Rings, naturally. Um, you know, all the favorites. There is some excellent, by a guy named um, uh, Jeffrey Treese, I think that's his name, um, who wrote these wonderful books for boys that are all about... Um, uh, no, there's Henry Treese, and I think they're brothers, Henry and Jeffrey, if I'm remembering correctly. One set of books that are about Vikings, Viking Dawn, Viking Crusader, Viking at Night, I think. And then there's another set of books that are about a family of skilled swordsmen, English aristocrats, who go to France and um, basically kill uh, re- evil Republicans in sword fights on the beach. And Fair enough. There, <laughs> which I think is, yeah, again, a legitimate activity. Uh, they judged them as strangers. They didn't like yeah. them. They skewered them with their small sword. This happens so many times in those books. <laughs> to this day, my brother and I will sometimes just, we remember huge sort of swaths of these books. Charles was amazed at the colonel's calculated brutality. Did your dad do the voices? Did you, did you a just... little, a little bit. In retrospect, I'm going to rebuke my father. Um, in his, uh, you know, across the grave um, and say he could have done more. <laughs> could have done more with the voices. <laughs> uh, do you have a favourite autobiography? Or biography, I suppose. Yes. It is uh, Clifford Irving, the American writer who wrote the fake autobiography of Howard Hughes in 1973, then subsequently wrote a memoir about the act of writing the fake autobiography which is sort of meta in a lovely way. And it's so fantastic. And in the course of which, he kind of convinces you that he's a genius. I'm very pro Clifford Irving. It's the greatest, liter- you know, it's the, is it the greatest literary, one of the greatest literary hoaxes of the 20th century. He almost gets away with it. But even better than the, the fake Howard Hughes autobiography, which is very good, is, is Irving's account of how he came to, to do this, this outrageous act. When was the last time you used a public library? Well, if by public you mean I go to the academic library, the New York University Library all the time. I was there 10 days ago. Uh, That counts. Yeah. It's got a librarian in it, so... Yes, I go constantly. I have a card. Is there a hidden gem of a place where you do lots of research? Mm. No. I go... There is no single place. I go wherever I'm... Every now and again, I discover... These days, what you're really discovering are online archives. Although the good people at the BBC gave me access to their archive, which is the 
single greatest archive in the history of archives. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. I mean, you name it, it's in there, right? There's nothing. How did you get that? You know, I'm not going <laughs> to give away my secrets. <laughs> no, the truth is, they approached me, and they are they are they were incredibly gracious and generous. Um, they would because they'd like the world to know about what's in the archive, and I agree. Is there a book that always cheers you up? Uh, this is, uh, uh, the answer to this is paradoxical. Yes. Uh, I try once a year to read The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, which is, of course, is not a cheery book. It's the opposite. It's the most... One of the great depressing works of post war English literature. It's really not a spy book. It's a book about how dreary and dreadful England was in, 19, in the early 1950s. That's what it's about, right? It's about... It's just miserable. It's like there's there's fog everywhere. No one has any money. Mostly the government. No one eats particularly well. Everyone's unhappy and miserable and shuffling around in the rain and have forgotten their umbrella and their hat at their club where they ate terrible food. That's what that's what that book's about, right? You've read it. And I find this just so enormously kind of thrilling and cheering and enthralling. Because <laughs> <Well, 'cause> <laughs> by comparison, yes. you live in New York where no one does any of those things. Okay. But he doesn't get... John Nakari, early John Nakari, he doesn't get enough credit for his role as a... Uh, he's really writing um, uh, in the tradition of social realism. It's not, it's not genre fiction in the beginning. It's, it's this unbelievably brilliant portrait of a of a society going through the trauma of the post-war era. That's what it is. It's not... It's, that's why I find those novels so extraordinarily compelling. Uh, and is there a writer we should follow on Twitter? I mean, you have a presence on Twitter. You're not there very much. Yeah, minor. Yeah, don't follow me on Twitter. That would be a mistake. Um, uh, there are many. There's an American um, uh, historian named Kevin Cruz, K-R-U-S-E, who my whole thing on Twitter is to try and follow as few people as possible, be as efficient as you can. Um, otherwise, you'll be overwhelmed. So I try and keep it under, I follow, I think, 65. But of those, about 30 are um, runners who I've, never tweet. I follow 1,006. <laughs> Good Lord. You need to prune. You need to prune. <laughs> Simon, that's, that's just ridiculous. Fair but Cruz is one-stop shopping for American politics. He'll, he's a historian, and he will retweet reliably or tweet everything you need to know about. If you want to know what's going on with the impeachment hearings, for example, he, he'll tell you everything. He's very so he's, he fits my my definition of an ideal person to follow. And his date he's Cruz K R U S E. Yes. Okay. Um, Malcolm, it's always a pleasure to have you uh, back in your homeland. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Yes. There you go. And uh, and we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. 